0: I have spoken so far about right mindfulness, right effort, and also right view. Right view is always concerned with gaining insight, and I'll address that some more tomorrow. Right now, I'll talk about right concentration. All of the teaching of the Buddha is divided into three parts Sila, Samadhi and Panya Sila is moral conduct Samadhi is concentration And Panya is wisdom And the Noble Eightfold Path is also divided into three parts Right effort, right mindfulness and right concentration Are the Samadhi part, the concentration part Without effort, there's no mindfulness. Without mindfulness, there's no concentration. They are also cause and effect. The teaching of the Buddha is also sometimes called cause and effect. Now, we've made some effort and possibly established some mindfulness so right concentration has a chance to come about one of the common aspects of humanity is the fact that everybody has a yearning inside a yearning for something more and better some people don't know they have it most people do know that they have that yearning. Most people don't know what to do with it. Because all that's apparent around us are the worldly aspects. So one gets the mistaken idea that we can find that what we're looking for within the world. Sailing around the globe, finding the right people or whatever else we have in mind. And we certainly use a lot of time and energy to satisfy the yearning. And it is never fulfilled on the worldly level. So then, maybe we come to meditation. Maybe that's going to fulfill our yearning. We still don't know exactly what we're yearning for. There's a longing inside. A longing for fulfillment. A longing for something other than what we've had so far. But what is that other? When we come to meditation, one of two things happens far too frequently either we get frustrated or we start daydreaming the mind just cuts off it doesn't know anymore what's going on the latter feels quite pleasant at least there's no unpleasantness so if we do that We have absolutely no cause to get out of it. And if somebody should wake us up by saying some things which we need to do, we might even resent that. It's a nice dream induced through sitting still, being quiet, and not paying attention. The first one feels very unpleasant being frustrated, doesn't feel pleasant at all, and so one quits, and then it says at the bottom of the sheet, I've been meditating for 20 years, off and on, and then when you ask about it, they're told more off than on, it's very common, it's a totally natural result, both are of course totally unsatisfactory and yet the person on either way the pleasant one or the unpleasant one the dreaming one or the frustrated one might continue because they've tried too many other things already and also they might have heard somewhere that the Buddha promised that there is a way out of all Dukkha. While they probably don't believe it yet because they still have their own Dukkha, the promise itself is enticing. Hardly anybody else has promised such a thing. So it's enticing. Some people actually continue with their meditation even though it doesn't become very concentrated because they have the self-discipline to do it and recognize it as a training for the mind. Those are the lucky ones. Lucky is hardly the right expression, a karmic result of right effort. The Buddha not only promised the end of all dukkha through Nibbana, but he showed the pathway of meditation, which will bring about well-being, joy and peacefulness on the way there. The Buddha talked about sense pleasures being gross and one should recognize them for what they are. They are distracting and they are very often taking us off the path. And he said about right concentration in the middle and things this is a pleasure I will allow myself right concentration means the meditative absorptions whether one has heard anything contrary or not it still means that nothing else sama samadhi are the jhanas The Buddha himself practiced them and taught them. And they can be found in his discourses. The jhanas are four of the seven factors of enlightenment. They are the pathway which the human mind naturally takes if it gets trained And we discipline ourselves. Self-discipline is highly unpopular. It's another one of those things that is so unpopular. Again, you will have to check whether the things which are popular have brought you real happiness. And you might take a little while, take a little time over that, because there's a lot of stuff popular. So one has to check it out. Am I really and truly happy? What do I want from this meditation? Just a little addition to all that stuff that's popular? Or do I really want an inner resurrection? One needs to inquire for oneself. Nobody can tell another. The Buddha called himself the shore of the way. This is all I'm trying to do show you the way of the Buddha we all have to travel it ourselves when we have enough self-discipline to sit then have the ability to let go of the thinking to let go of the self-assertion which is the cause for our thinking there's no other cause except self-assertion when we can let go of that we will have an opportunity to gain access to different levels of consciousness which are the meditative absorptions the meditative absorptions are not the goal they're the means the pathway just like mindfulness just like right effort just like right view there's no point at all in picking out one or two aspects of the teaching and saying that's it I'm going to do that one the rest is all unnecessary there is the Noble Eightfold Path which has eight steps and obviously all eight steps need to be taken right view means insight which we get through contemplation which we get to a better understanding of ourselves but we'll never really make the concerted effort for right view if we haven't got a foundation to build on within ourselves which is smooth and harmonious which is constructive and supportive and elevating who's going to get right view if there's nothing that is elevating our consciousness so that we can actually see everything in a totally different light A 180 degrees turned around we need to support that we need to bring our own inner being to a level where we are not at loggerheads neither with ourselves nor with anyone nor anything as long as we are That's what needs to be smoothed out first. The concentration. It starts with watching the breath or the sensations. It can start with metta meditation. It's a very good access to the jhanas. One has to remember that every method is nothing but a key. There is no good or bad or better method. If it's a key to calm and insight, then we can use it. Not every method is suitable for every person. That's why the Buddha taught 40. We have already practiced here. Attention on the breath, walking meditation, Loving-kindness meditation and sweeping as methods for calm and insight. In addition, three contemplations, which are methods for insight. These are the tools. They're keys. Now, if we use the breath as our example, if we want to open a door we have to hold the key in hand long enough and steady enough to fit it into the keyhole that's what we have to do with the breath not drifting off not fantasizing or dreaming but being totally attentive to that key hold it in hand in mind in this case long enough and steady enough so that we can fit it into the keyhole having done that we no longer need the key all we have to do is open the door and be welcomed in our inner chambers there are eight of those well obviously we get into the first one first it's like an entrance hall it's very pretty we don't need any visualization for that as we step over the threshold, having opened that door our whole body sensation changes. The heaviness and the boundaries of the body disappear. Now the, the delightful sensation which I have already mentioned in answer to some questions the delightful sensation can be of many different kinds there are 17 mentioned in the scripture in the commentary lightness warmth floating tingling These are the most common ones. Sometimes it's like showering. No matter what it is, all of it is utterly pleasant. Different from the usual kind of body sensation that we walk around with. We are not putting that sensation inside of ourselves. It's always been there. It always is there. We just have finally opened the door. have removed the debris of thought and emotion so that we could find the door handle and get inside. The debris is usually so solid that it takes time. But it's amazing that if we really make right effort and establish some mindfulness, how little time is needed to get inside. The pleasure that arises because of this totally different sensation is always within us, and once we become really practiced at right concentration, we can enter into that feeling anytime at all, even while talking, no problem. For those who haven't had that experience yet, to enter into that first inner chamber that seems somewhat like miracle or magical or magic but it's totally natural this is a natural way for the mind to go that inner yearning gets an answer when we actually touch upon those different levels of consciousness the inner yearning is one For harmony and peace. For lack and loss of all difficulties. Obviously, we're not going to lose them all through the meditation. But we get a taste of what it's like. This very first step is called Piti. P-I-T-I. Translated as delight sometimes translated as rapture or bliss, which is a, well, very strong words and not quite descriptive enough because it doesn't have to be quite that strong. It's utterly pleasant. It's also translated as interest because when we finally get in there, we don't feel frustrated anymore. If we've tried long enough to meditate, the mind says, well, finally something (laughs) so the frustration disappears there's no guarantee that the daydreaming will disappear that depends on one's self discipline but it has a much better chance of disappearing that drowsy mind that doesn't know what's going on gets interested to find out how this what that feels like and becomes a little bit awake. To be awake is an absolute necessity in order to go on a spiritual path. This kind of mind that doesn't have any connection is a mind which is also indifferent and then love and compassion are very difficult. It all works together. We've got to be awake and aware. So we, when the interest arises, the frustration of course goes, but the daydreaming, the drowsiness of the mind gets better. No guarantee that it goes, depends how deeply rooted it is. If we once practised practice that for years on end, very difficult to get out of it. Nobody told one about it. It's, uh, if one's just only fallen into it lately, one gets out of it immediately. This delightful sensation, PT, which arises, needs of course to be kept within the concentration for a solid chunk of time, 10 or 15 minutes. Is a solid enough chunk of time. It has the quality of counteracting ill-will within us. Ill-will is our second hindrance and it's just another word for anger, hate, dislike, resentment, rejection, to be non-forgiving, In other words, to be hateful. To have enmity, hurtfulness. With hurtfulness, the unfortunate thing is that most people can be hurt. Only if one has practiced long enough, one can't be hurt. But most people haven't. And hurting someone else makes very bad karma. Even the intention, even if the other person isn't for it, makes very bad karma. We should be very careful with that. And the more bad karma we make, the less we can meditate. These are all karmic resultants. Obviously, everyone who comes to a meditation course such as this has made more good karma than bad. Otherwise, they wouldn't be here. But if they can't remember what was said, then the good karma wasn't all that good. (laughs) While we're having delightful sensation, it's impossible to be angry. Naturally, that's only short-lived. Only while we're in the meditation. But this delight has a residual effect if we have established it and stabilized it to the point where we know that we can always return to it. Once we know, we can always return to it. There's an inner smoothness and harmony. There's a feeling of being protected. doesn't mean that we are never, at that stage have any irritation or anger for that we need far more insight but the residual effect that this delightful sensation creates is the fact that during our daily confrontations which everybody has we realize we can get back to that inner delight when we sit down again in the evening so that all the things that carry a sting are not quite as important anymore as they used to be. We have found the home for the mind. Until then, the mind was homeless. It was running from one sense contact to the next, from one reaction to the next, from one thought to the next, from one dislike to the next, from one craving to the next. It had no home. It couldn't rest. It didn't have anywhere where it could really be at ease while we're sleeping we're dreaming and while we're awake or half awake we're thinking it's constantly on the go being overworked and feeling quite tired from all that overwork having established the first step of meditation after having let go of the method we found a home therefore during our daily lives where everybody has some confrontations which one doesn't like everything has a much smoother effect it's much less of an impact we know we can go home And some of the inner yearning is answered Not all of it, but some of it We know there's something inside of us Which we haven't found out there When we're able to stay on this sensation When it happens for the first time Most people start thinking immediately The mind says Oh, that's nice. I'd like to have that again. And of course it's gone. Second time might be easier. The mind will have to stay on it and be the experiencer, not the observer. Be in it. The Buddha compared it to the leaves of a lotus which are totally immersed in the water. Immersed in that sensation. (coughs) Obviously, when we have used the key of the breath to open that door, we don't need the key anymore. We don't have to pay attention to the breath. All we do is pay attention to the sensation. We're breathing anyway. We've been breathing for decades and we are going to continue breathing until we die. So it was only... The breath was only useful to stabilize the mind. And any of the methods are useful to stabilize the mind. Then being able to stay on this sensation... We don't start describing it or thinking about it while we are immersed in it. The immersion in that sensation is the greatest purification that we can have at that stage. There's much purification needed in order to go this path. And every moment of concentration is a moment of purification... Every moment of mindfulness is a moment of purification. But when it comes to being able to stay on that sensation, because of the impact it makes, we're usually able to stay longer, and therefore purification is stronger. Well, that's its first resultant. The next thing is, Is that when we're finishing that is the concentration is gone or time is up we need to recognize that that too is impermanent while we would like to keep it we can't it dissolves it dissolves with the dissolution of our concentration And then a very important step to recapitulate how one has actually reached that point. Now this is a step that should be taken after every meditation which has the feeling about it that it was good or better than usual. Always at the end recapitulate all the steps that you've taken and having to recapitulate it you try and take the same steps again meditation is not potluck it's science of mind it's therefore always repeatable and accessible to everyone and totally explainable if somebody says I've had this experience but I can't explain it We can forget about it. Science of mind is explainable. The Buddha gave the explanations. We can, through our own experience, also understand it. So recapitulation. First thing, impermanence. Second, recapitulation. And the third step is, what am I learning? The meditative absorptions are a means a means to calm and soothe the mind to give it a different level on which it can operate but it's also a means for insight if we don't use the jhanas for insight we're missing their best part because the mind while in the sensation is Absolutely quiet and delighted and at ease and harmonious and doesn't have any problems or worries. Insights much easier. Now, obviously, in the beginning, when one first starts doing that, the mind falls off the sensation. The uh, thoughts do enter, sounds. <coughs> are heard and uh, reacted to but all that smoothes out with time but one needs patience and perseverance two wonderful qualities that are possible for human beings and without them meditation will never happen guaranteed never patience and perseverance Without those two, it just doesn't work. And if one doesn't have patience with oneself, one doesn't have much love for oneself. And if one doesn't have perseverance, one hasn't got any self-discipline. It's as simple as that. And most people suffer from both. Human nature. The overcoming of human nature is the goal of the path. And on the way we have to overcome this and that, little bit here, little bit there. And one feels extremely gratified if one has overcome one's own instincts and impulses, not all of them, all at once, one of them and then another. Being able to stay with that sensation makes it possible then to realize that at the end, I'm talking not while one is doing it, but at the end, that one has found a home for the mind and found something that one has often looked for in the world a delightful way of being that one has searched for here and there and has had probably moments where that actually happened sometimes one can see a beautiful sunset Or hear absolutely delightful music, or fall in love, or be immersed in the ocean, and for one moment or several moments one feels transported, and one obviously thinks it's due to the sunset, or to the person one has fallen in love with, or to the ocean. And so one wants to hang on to that. It's not at all due to that. It's due to having lost self-assertion at that moment and being totally embedded in the experience. That's what that whole thing comes to. So we don't have to look for the wonderful sunset Although if it comes, we should definitely enjoy it. And we don't have to look for falling in love with someone who's either identical or totally different from the last one, or to immerse ourselves in the ocean. All we have to look for is to lose our self-assertion and be totally immersed in the meditative process which takes us to that delight which is transporting and at that time there's no thought I am experiencing something really nice because that thought finishes it of course so what we're learning is a third step after the meditation is over, first impermanence, then recap and the third step that we can have what we've been looking for in the world within us and can be totally independent of outer circumstances we're not independent of our own concentration but we're independent of what goes on around us independent of other people independent of their goodwill or their ill will independent of what we see or hear and we know that all we've ever looked for we carry within naturally we have to continue practicing in that way because it means that the mind has become malleable flexible extended and we can compare that to yoga if we practice that diligently we our tendons and muscles all become Malleable and flexible, and it's easy to touch one's toes. We stop and it all contracts again. It's called contracted mind. Contracted mind is a mind that has all the difficulties in it which we know from a worldly level. So, if we don't continue to expand the mind and keep it malleable and flexible, obviously it's going to pull together again. And then we have to start all over again. That what we carry within our minds are nothing but viewpoints and opinions. The Buddha gave a discourse, the Brahmajala Sutta, out of the Digha Nikaya, the long discourses. And in it, he delineates 62 views that humans have. And they're sort of like headings for all of our views. And each one of them is wrong. We can't have right view until we've let go of the illusion that we are a separate individual until we let go of duality we cannot possibly have right view so having all these views and opinions all produced by the stuff we hear somebody told us who sounded knowledgeable the stuff we have thought of ourselves because we like it and some of the input we have through our upbringing. All that are all viewpoints and opinions and don't bring any results. They only clutter up the mind. The Buddha compared people to four kinds of clay vessels one kind has holes at the bottom if you pour in water it runs right out if you pour in the Dhamma and the minute one gets up from one's pillow it's gone then there is the clay vessel that has cracks the water seeps out one can contain the Dhamma maybe as far as one's room then there is a clay vessel that's full to the top with old water you can't pour anything new in and then there's a clay vessel which has no holes no cracks and no water and the clear new water can be poured into it hopefully we're the latter kind That's also a karmic resultant. It's not so easy to pour out all the old water. Or maybe we can manage to pour out half of it. Might be nice already. Get rid of half of the old water and leave enough room for at least half the clay vessel to be filled. (coughs) If one gets near to being concentrated the breath becomes very fine and instead of trying to find it and to stay with it we should remember it's only a key and we should try and see whether we have at that time already access to delightful sensation if we do we let go of the breath And use that as our meditation subject. As we use the delightful sensation in the beginning, the mind will often fall off. We can bring it back on again. We might have to use the breath again or whatever method we were using. As I said, Metta is a very good access road if one can feel it. If one's only thinking it, it doesn't work. But if one can feel it, it's a good access road. Being able to stay with it, we need those three steps at the end, impermanence, recap, and what am I learning? And the most important aspect of that learning is the fact that we realize not only that we're independent of outer circumstances for inner delight, we also realize that we don't really have to search constantly for sensual gratification, for comfort, for taste, for a touch, for hearing, for seeing, or for thinking. Those things happen anyway, but we don't have to search for it. We have something better. We realize that none of our sense contacts have ever produced the quality of Of that inner delight. They have produced delight at times, of course, but not the same quality. Not searching for the sense contacts any longer frees our time and energy for the pursuit of the spiritual part. Having freed oneself to that extent, one also is no longer so concerned that the pleasant sense context should stay with one or be repeated. And because that craving is not there, the dukkha isn't there. The dukkha of worrying whether that's going to happen, of trying to make it happen. And because that's no longer there, the sense contexts which we have which are pleasant have far more quality to them. Even getting to the very first jhana changes the quality of one's life. As we, I said last night, it is possible to gain enlightenment without the jhana steps. For us and in our day and age, I wouldn't like to say it's impossible, it's highly improbable. All the people I know who have gained any access to any past moments have done it through the Jhanas. Naturally, the people I know is limited we are far to be set with thinking that we could actually let go of the belief system and the views we have which show us reality in a totally distorted way But experiencing something quite different and elevating, inspiring within oneself makes all the difference.